you take the advantages of innovation, easily integrating new tools, trends, and being able to get things into your ecosystem really quickly. So the end result, if you choose to go this route, is that you have an extremely agile, scalable and customer-centric infrastructure that can really help you, you grow. And going composable means that when, whenever you need to be, whatever the future throws at you, that your brand is ready. Some of you may know that voice right there. That is Sean Connell from Verse, because this is a part two on all things headless and composable commerce. If you haven't listened to part one, I do advise pressing pause here, scrolling back in the feed and finding a podcast called Can't Make Head Nor Tails of Headless, where Sean introduces headless and composable commerce. And this show is a follow-up because we get into some of the most common questions and debunks and myths about headless and composable commerce. If you're brand new to the show, this is where we cover the strategies and tactics to help you grow the right way. And a quick thank you to our friends at Verse and Bloomreach for being amazing partners of this very podcast. That's enough from me. Enjoy part two with Sean Connell from Verse. Sean, I'm actually trying to work out if you are officially the first repeat guest on the pod. And I think if you took Rich off the table, because that's unfair home field advantage, I think you're the first repeat guest. So welcome back to The Right Way to Go. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thanks for having me back. Uh, this one's going to be a slightly different to the last show. We kind of teed up what we might talk about because... Off the back of our last conversation, there was a lot of questions that I still had. And I think there were some myths that you thought, you know what, it'd be really good to jump back on the mics and debunk some of the myths around composable and headless. So that's kind of what the show's all about now. So I've got a, a list of stuff that I want to go through and I, I'm going to apologize in advance. It's going to feel like I'm peppering you with questions, but across list of questions, there's some team questions. And then some of the myths that you've sent over to me and go, this is the stuff that I think would be interesting to tackle. That's what I want to try and cover off in this show. Are you up for it? Yeah, sounds great. Looking forward to it. Let's jump straight in. Listen, I'm going to, this is, we're going to start with a myth and this is something that you sent across to me. So um, composable is expensive. Okay. This is something that the market believes. Uh, and what I want you to do is try and unpack it. So a composable is expensive. And actually, you know what? There's a, I'm doing a disservice to people that are just jumping in and listening to the pod for the first time. I've just made that schoolboy error of assuming that everyone's listened to every show. That's that's my ego coming through. Before we jump into this, Sean, give me a quick 60-second intro, who you are, what you do, and what you guys do specifically over at Verse. So I am Sean Connell, CEO and Verse. We, we're a full-service digital agency-focused majority of our efforts on Shopify+. Plus specifically in the headless space. So we've tooled up and focused our energy into headless and composable and, and translation that for brands onto Shopify Plus. Uh, we've been around for a long time, been around 14 years, nearly 15 years um, in total and done lots of different things. Potentially every sector has been um, has been touched in some way over over that half period. And now we're focusing a lot more into DTC brands and, and helping them understand headless and get most the benefits out of it as much as they can as well to, to allow them to grow. And uh, for anyone that's new and hasn't heard Sean's voice before, uh, I would suggest pausing this to get some context. Um, I head back into the feed and find an episode which is called Can't Make Head Nor Tales of Headless. Um, and I want to give a quick quick shout out to Ed Cox uh, and our team who helps with every single one of the titles for the pod. So I draft it and he goes, that's rubbish. Go with this one instead. Um, so if you, if anyone looks at the pod 
I continuously get complimented on the title of the pod, and I'm like, I would love to claim that, but uh, it's it's Ed's magic. Ed's sprinkle of magic on the pod. Um, so thank you, Ed. So if you're first time here, haven't heard Sean before, go and listen to that, and then come back here because it will do a lot of scene setting and context for the conversation we're about to have. So let me jump back in, Sean. Okay. <laughs> now we've done that and got everyone up to speed. The myth. Composable is expensive and reserved for enterprise brands doing £25 million or more a year. Firstly, why is that a myth? And then how are you going to help us debunk it? What's the truth? Yeah, so this is this is a common misconception. I think this is because um, it's come from the very early days of when Headless was bleeding edge like technology when it was first coming out. And you had quite a few early adopters, usually in the enterprise space, who were adopting the technology quite early on in development before it really matured. Um, and that was expensive to do that, like as all cutting edge technology generally is. So um, nowadays it's it's an out, outdated idea uh, that the complexity has reduced massively and with that, the cost. Um, composable commerce allows for this like pick mix approach. So you can pick the tools that are right for you. Don't pick the ones that aren't, um, but that also allows you to pick ones and keep your costs low. So you can pick the ones that are um, allow you to get set up more cost effectively and then scale with your business and plug other ones in and upgrade those tools as time goes on and so on and so on. So, so it can actually give you a net benefit in being able to manage your costs early on. Um, so it's not just for those big brands anymore. It can be for from startup, really, if it fits with your business structure and the, the, the challenges and the, the hopes and dreams you've got for your brand as well. Um, then it's not expensive. It can be the right step for you straight out the gates. Um, and also, I think it should be said that agencies like us, um, a little bit of a plug, is that we're working hard to reduce that barrier as much as possible as well. So we're excited about their technology, but we can see elements of complexity of bringing all these tools together. So we've done a lot of work to try and synthesize through all of that, make it as simple as possible, and as cost-effective as possible by reducing the barrier to a lot of the expensive elements of stitching these things together. It's kind of like a nice jumping-off point, actually, and I know it's so early on in the episode, uh, but if, if someone is thinking about is it a fit or is it not a fit, you guys are actually offering this complimentary free composable mini-audit. Um, there'll be more about that. I'll, I'll put a bit more audio on this uh, in the show, but if you are already in that space and thinking about it, there's a link in the show notes. Click that. You'll end up on Versus' website put your email address in and the team at Verse will be in touch. That's a completely free complimentary service. Um, is there anything that you want to bring to life for that, Sean, while we're on the mics in terms of what brands can expect as part of that? Yes. So that audit is a, uh, it's a very much a mini audit, but we what we found that a lot of the brands we're talking to at the moment, we're all kind of, kind of having the same conversation about like, well, what is it? <laughs> how does, how does it uh, make a difference to my brand? And is it the right thing for my brand? So, we try to demystify that a little bit through a mini audit. So we're, we're looking at uh, what tools might work for your business going forward in a composable structure in the future. Uh, but we also look at what your future might look like, a little bit of a crystal ball of what the future might look like on your current system compared to uh, looking at a composable system as well. Uh, but we also consider what are the steps to get you to the composable um, structure as well so it's not always about a rip and replace it can be a very progressive process as well so 
because that process is all very consultative and we finding we're doing that anyway, um, we thought we, we should offer it uh, out so we can uh, help brands understand if it's the right step for them. If that resonates with any of you guys listening, um, again, uh, pause the pod, pull over if you're driving, uh, hit that link in the show notes uh, and, and go and fill that form in. It's a, a completely free, uh, I guess, benefit to being a listener of the right way to grow. Sure, moving on to the next question. Um, there's just, I guess, a, a very simple question, but maybe a complex answer, which is how does composable commerce differ from traditional e-commerce platforms and what are the benefits for D2C brands? Yeah, I mean, it can be a complex answer, but I'll try and keep it um, succinct. So Composable represents a, a significant evolution, I suppose, over traditional e-commerce platforms. Um, and the main difference really relies in, in the architecture of the system. Um, in a traditional platform, in a monolithic or a headed, we've used these terms before, <laughs> is we, it's a very unified system where the front and back ends are very closely intertwined. And that could limit in most cases does limit flexibility and customization of that of that tool um, in the future by contrast composable is extremely modular so you can um pull things out put things in adjust things that need to be adjusted and you're open to the market to be able to pick the right tools at the right time be it innovative technology or if it's cost sensitivity you need to switch something out for a cheaper version or you can do those things very quickly um, and that can give brands quite a few um, specific benefits. Flexibility is the obvious, obvious one straight out the gates. Um, you can tailor everything that you need for your brand. Scalability as well. So um, when I, we spoke about the, the cost implication, if you needed to start out slowly and start out with some small tools to get you going, when you scale, the cost of scaling is much less usually than a traditional system as well, because you can just add another tool in, upgrade that tool. You can keep control over the cost as you scale and it can scale with you more easily as well. Um, and overall, I think where, where traditional e-commerce platforms provide sort of a one size fits all solution, composable is far more tailored and scalable and efficient for your online presence, presences going forward. Give me some examples. Could you bring that to life a little bit for me? Like, give me some examples of like DC brands that have successfully implemented headless or composable, um, just so people can get an understanding of what what good looks like. Yeah, we get asked this quite a bit as well because I think people want to see sort of a social proof element of these. Of like, yeah, but what does it actually look like? <laughs> um, so we've we've been pulling together a bunch of like examples and stuff that we've been sharing with with brands there's, there's a couple we could call out um uh, loaf is one of them if you've seen loaf they're a furniture furniture company with uh, homeware and and that sort of stuff and really great products uh started out fairly small but they've scaled quite quickly and they, they adopted headless approach fairly early in their development um and it allowed them to move very quickly as they scaled, but also provides like a really rich online shopping experience that was really unique to their products and how, how their products sort of, you can customize it and tweak it and you can add different things and switch things over. It gave, gave them a lot of control over that customer experience. Um, and another is Grind, the coffee place, one of my favorite coffees. Um, Grind Grind switched to Headless um, as well for their, for their um, um, what am I trying to say, a subscription model, um, e-commerce store. So again, it allowed them to have a super smooth online experience that really mirrored their super trendy 
a shortage based shops and things like that. So it really brought them to life a little bit. Um, and I think, I think it's, it's evidence that customers demand for these brands, customers are demanding to have that brand brand experience wherever they go, not just in store or not just in one little platform. So, um, Headless allows brands to get to their customers in the right platform with with a consistent brand feel and image. Um, another one is BrewDog. They have uh, everyone knows BrewDog. Um, been in the news for some other reasons recently as well, but um, <laughs> even so, they've used Headless as well to get their product out there, and the, the growth that they've seen through that is is phenomenal. Um, and it allows them to again provide a really great customer experiences with such a diverse range of products um, in a really efficient way. What are the things that a layman like me browsing the website might notice? How has Headless helped those brands um, stand out from an online experience? I think the key is um, not having, not being limited. Um, so they, they're able to implement a customer experience that is rich and reflective of their overall brand image and what they want to say and and be in front of their customers without having to accept any negatives or accept any cons there's a there's a lot that you could you could achieve some of those experiences in a traditional e-commerce platform um but you've always got that push pull um you have to take something out to get that experience where it needs to be and that sort of thing and at least you don't have that complexity you can pro you can provide your users with a experience that is totally customized totally customized to how they want to shop and how they want to interact with the product and shop for the product so it can look very different you're as opposed to the one size fits all approach in traditional you can do something that is totally customized for your brand and tells your brand story and that adds that brand value narrative into the way the product appears for customers and how they interact with it I guess it's there's this level of continuity in terms of how I engage with the brand. Maybe, like you say, grind in a in a physical retail environment. Uh, I want to have that same feeling uh, wherever they touch the brand, and that's I guess the point that you're making here, which is that level of flexibility means that there's not this jarring experience of an online e-com shop, which is just um, out the box potentially feels a bit theme-driven and limit limitations, where it's actually there's a degree of continuity. Wherever you bump into this brand, whether it's physical, online, events, whatever it is, you'll have the same feeling. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and stick my hand back into the myth bucket uh, that you shared with me. Uh, and I, love the, I love the word that you used in this one, by the way, which was uh, uh, headless commerce, is it just a fad? Uh, because we actually just completed, uh, this isn't a plug for us actually, but we just completed a large piece of work for um, a brand, actually, I guess a, um, a capital partner saying, hey, we're looking to invest in this company, but is this thing just a fad? And I love that as a question. Uh, so head, headless commerce, is it just a fad, Sean? Yeah, I mean, you, we hear it quite a bit as well, because I think everyone's fingers burnt about like previous technology that might have come out and thought like, oh, actually, we shouldn't shouldn't touch that until it's matured a bit. Um, no, in the case of headless, it is, it is certainly not a fad. It's, it's very much just strategic response to the needs of the digital marketplace um it's it's here to stay it is the future of e-commerce on the, on the previous podcast adam you mentioned a quote about uh, i think it was from salesforce 80 percent of brands are currently considering or will be considering headless in the next two years and um, plus the conversation we had last time about how 
the big players are adopting headless and, and providing their own solutions to headless and their answer to it gives us all the indications that this is the future. Um, but it's also here to stay because customer experience demands are so high and will only increase. I don't think that's ever going to not be true for DTC brands. Customers demand so much from brands and how their brand interacts with their life. It was a really interesting episode I listened to um, recently. I think it was the uh, community podcast uh, episode. Yeah, with Paul over at uh, Dual. Yeah. Yes, that w I absolutely love that episode because I think that's exactly it. It's like, how do you get into your community and how do you speak to them in a almost a tribal sense where you're making them ambassadors for your brand and um, the demands that, that sort of has on your business is so uniquely challenging and personalized, I think, for each brand about how you talk to your customers. So you're going to want a system that allows you to do that and facilitates that and even makes it easy and, and agile to be able to adapt to what your customers demand. Um, and the other thing is the technology is moving so quickly and it's moving in this direction. So it's, it's everything's moving towards microservices and API first cloud native. Um, so what that means is as time goes on, there's going to be so many of these players doing phenomenal work and really innovative products that can really give brands the edge if it's the right tool for them. And again, this is composable, so you can pick and choose that, that picky mix. Um, and whilst the big monolithic players like Salesforce and AEM, however big they are, will want to keep up with that, like they're going to really struggle to compete with an open market of all these players pushing forward with specific niche focuses on what they're trying to bring for e-commerce brands. Um, so you're where where they where their approach will be uh, let's try and tick all the boxes so that a brand can use anything and then you can see pound signs over their heads as well with that you can choose and pick and mix what you need through your brand and have the cutting edge leading edge technology all the time by mixing and matching and just being quite cost effective by but without giving up the the access to innovative features i guess as a, as an additional build on that would be let's just say someone gets into a position where they go, actually, I do want to make the move. How much effort does it actually take to move from um, their, their current system into kind of this headless architecture? What does that actually look like? Yeah, so it, it, it doesn't take any more time is the reality. And, and I know that's a very simplistic answer, but um, the effort required is the same. It's no more complex or, or less complex than looking at like a redesign or something like that. And um, there might be situations where you might need to switch out a system and put a new system in, which can have an implication on your internal teams. You might need to retrain your teams on a backend system, but that system's only going to be put in there if it's better with your business and it's going to unlock your team in some way. So um, I think brands are very, like, it's, it's a very common requirement to continually be moving forward, right? Training, changing with the business requirements. So um, in terms of efforts, there isn't a negative here. Um, there is, there is a lot of opportunity. Is this a one-way door for a brand? I kind of use that language, which is, I get the sense that like wanting to test and use new technology is important. Um, when a brand moves over to this, and let's just say it's not a fit for any reasons that we could um, come up with, are they shutting the door on what the old world was? 
I'm trying to work out what's the actual risks for a brand to um, move across to headless. Uh, what are the what are the things that they're going through that go actually even if this is of interest, I'm not going to take the leap. I'm trying to understand what what's the blockers to stop a brand from exploring this new technology. Really, it's a tricky question. What, if it's a, a one way road, um, it, I think it depends on what choices you make through through deciding what your route forward into composable and headless looks like. And I think that um, having the right partner along that journey and making the right choices is in, in the hope that you don't have to look backwards <laughs> um, would be an important thing to think about. Um, in theory, no, it's not a one-way one way road. You can absolutely move forward with headless and um, learn that it's not for you not for your brand, not for your business. It doesn't work with the processes and it doesn't match your culture and you can work backwards. And depending on the system you've adopted, which is why I can't answer a straight, but if you've adopted Shopify, for example, let's, let's simplify, um, that that's relatively easy, arguably, to go backwards and implement a theme on that Shopify platform without having to replace Shopify, without having to change any sort of like management systems behind that or PIMs or any sort of fulfillment systems or anything. I don't know why I've got this idea of this myth bucket, by the way. I'm going to, I'm going to keep coming back to that analogy because you provided me with a couple of myths that I can just grab as part of the conversation. So uh, the one that I'm looking at at the moment is headless commerce severely limits SEO capability. Um, that's a myth that you've tabled. So what's the, what's, why, why is this a myth actually? I think one thing I want to start probing is like, how did this come about and what's the truth in your view? Yeah, so it's it's a common concern and a misunderstanding. I, th I think the 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 concern comes from um, not having control over the front end somehow um, because of the complexity that you're you're putting in in the front end. Um, but the truth is, with it with it being a front end and a back end and decoupling it, like you're you're unhindered from an SEO point of view. You really have total control, so you can really like be very precise about what how you want the page to look from an SEO point of view um, and structure the, the metadata the way you need it, structure the page exactly the way you need it. So it actually gives you a, a much finer control over everything than the alternative. Um, and also the other thing is it's not, it's not the only benefit of headless, but the page load speed is a massive thing for SEO, like how quickly and how performant a site is. Um, and headless gives you an opportunity to to hit that metric far easier with whilst also not having to be careful with what you include in the page you mentioned performance there give me some more examples if you can sean of how does composable actually help a brand scale so that's a great question and it's kind of really at the heart of why composable commerce is gaining so much traction um I saw a quote, I think actually Hannah told me this quote, and I don't think Hannah from Verse, for, for the listeners, it told me this quote, and I don't know if she accredited it to anyone, but imagine if you've improved one thing in your life and everything else got upgraded at the same time, and all the tools you're using in a composable structure are moving forwards and constantly improving all the time without you needing to do anything. So that, that means you're constantly moving forwards rather than having to constantly look backwards in it and try and bring your legacy system along with you on that journey um so there's also the speed of that adaptation the the ability to get things into the market really quickly if your customers demands change as they always do and invariably they will do seasonally almost 
a headless and composable structure will allow you to adapt to that really quickly and and be agile and really um, proactive with how you present your your products to to your customers. You also have cost effect, effective scaling that I mentioned before as well, where you can you can scale slowly and just turn things on and include new tools as time goes on. So your your ability to to be more um, incremental in your your how much cost you incur as time goes on. Uh, faster time to market. Uh, I think I've mentioned a few times as well, but you can get to the market quite quite quickly. Um, and the other one to mention is the streamlining your operations. So so a lot of these tools that thinking about the end user. So in the case of like um, e-commerce platform like Shopify or a PIM system like Akinio or an email marketing tool like Clavio, they're all hyper-focused on what they need to do and be great at. So this can bring a lot more efficiency as time goes on as well because they are so focused on doing it really well. This one thing really well, it can help your team be really efficient and effective without necessarily having to grow your team. So it can allow you to scale without incurring more and more cost as well for it from a team management point of view. Appreciate you sort of breaking out the list of how headless and composable can can help brands scale. In order to realize all the benefits you've just listed out, does a brand need to do a complete overhaul uh, to implement headless or is there a uh, is there stepping stones or can it, or can it be incremental? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point to clarify. Um, implementing composable headless requires it doesn't require a total revamp in practice it it can be very much a progressive process to get a brand to towards it over a extended period of time so you can start with literally just one page you could just take your pdp your product detail page and make that headless if that's the page where you're having a lot of trouble and it's obviously the highest converting page for most brands you could split that out of your traditional e-commerce platform and put it into a headless um, headless structure and then deliver it faster, more customized, do whatever you need to, to it, and then learn from that process as well. So you can, you can launch that and then learn and then approach your product listing page and then approach your collection page. And then you can do that progressively and learn throughout that whole journey. And that's actually quite a good way to do it. That's a great way to adopt the, the approach and, and you're learning all the way through. So it allows you to take advantage of understanding how users are using that page as much as um, as much as it is keeping the cost low and keeping the complexity low as well. Whilst you transition towards towards a fully headless system, which could take months, years, depending on what you need to do as a business. Every day is a school day. I didn't even for me that I've got had a bit of a light bulb moment there. To go, I didn't know that was possible to physically pull out. Uh, a section, a category down to a page and make a specific page or type of page headless. If if you had any experience of brands doing that, and I think my default would be, okay, let's go to the highest opportunity page. Maybe um, even the homepage doesn't capture all the traffic. It does end up on that kind of the PDP page and go, let's make that headless. But that also feels risky for me as a brand, which is that's where all the traffic's going and I want to start somewhere uh, uh, less offensive if it doesn't go as I want it or somewhere to learn. You got any examples of how brands have, uh, I guess, stepped into headless using that sort of strategy? No specific examples, but but we have done it with some of our customers historically as well. And in fact, our own website, we also did this. So our own website is headless and we slowly transitioned it away from our old headed system into headless by doing one page at a time and just releasing that out to market. And um, 
it means you can take a very strategic approach to what you're doing at each step and go along a journey rather than just going for a one-hit wonder. How are you measuring success out of curiosity? Do you know when you deployed the new page and had this environment, like what did, what was like a success measure for you to go, that went well? I think a PDP is the obvious one is conversion rates, uh, but there's a couple other metrics that might be slightly different or unique per brand, uh, time on page, uh, other number of PDPs viewed can be one. Um, so we, we look at all of those metrics and, and make sure that we understand what the metrics that matter are before we go and launch something. And the other, other thing to mention about the fear of doing that is you can do that in, in a very small way as well. So you could take 2% of your users and point them towards the new PDP and then, okay, is everything okay? Yeah, with my brand hat on, I'm like, if I was in, if I was like, actually, I want to play in this space, how do I do it? That feels really interesting to me as a safe place to kind of dip my toe in and experience I guess not just headless, the agency that I'm working with, like actually what are they like to work with without me making this full, kind of feels like a way to go on a date compared to getting married is the, the analogy that's running through my head right now. <laughs> no, no, exactly. That, that's, ex that's exactly what we, we do with customers as well. So like we will, through the consultancy process, if, if a progressive way of working is the best way to go for that brand, when they've got a lot of um, investment already in their current structure, then yeah, we will go down that road with them and it can be short and sweet can be two week two week redesigns of a pdp and then putting it in the headless front end and seeing how it does sort of thing and then yeah absolutely it removes the barrier to feeling like it's a whole overhaul and a big rip and replace that's really scary when you've especially we've got like a sunken cost feeling of like well we've put loads of money into this system and like do you really want to move forward and um, it can really help like soften that that move I'm actually going to ask you to take your verse hat off for a second. Um, and if you were taking like an objective view and saying to a brand, actually, if you're going to go and engage an agency uh, that operates in this space, um, what would you be guiding them as, uh, as an expectation? How should a brand go and entertain, engage, or um, open the door to an agency to explore this? How would you consult a brand to say, hey, go and speak to these agencies and here's what good looks like? It's a good question, uh, and I think it's something that brands need to think about very carefully as well because it, it's not that easy. Um, so, I would say when you're selecting a, a partner to build a headless site, um, is you, the first up you're looking for that partner to be quite consultative. You you want them to really understand your brand and to make sure that they don't just understand what you're trying to get to, but also understand like your culture, how you work, your processes, what what good looks like to you, and really engages in that nitty gritty, the challenges that you're feeling, the pain points that you're feeling in your every everyday work life. Um, and providing they go through a consult consultative approach of kind of like working out if Headless is the right thing for you um, and being informed by your brand's structure and culture and so on, I think you'll you'll get off on a good footing to start with. You'll get, on, you'll get a good foundation to, to have a successful project at the end of that. Outside of that, I think you want your brand to really understand your, or you want your partner to really understand your brand specific industry um, and the, the model you're going after, customers' needs, what your customers are really looking for, um, and and also out potentially to understand your customers better as well. So how do how do we build more insight into customer understanding? Um, the other thing would be to consider how 
I'm set up as your partner to to scale scale you and also to scale themselves. So if if you're coming in and you've got grand ambitions and you need to scale and you need them to be part of that journey, they do that. Can they evolve with you and can they support your growth through, through that journey as as much as possible? And I think one that's really important to us, okay, verse hat aside, but one that's important is cultural fit. I think is like finding an an agency partner that kind of really understands what you're doing and and fits culturally with the things that are important to you, things that are important to your brand and align with your values in some way as well. So you're making the same decisions and the technology decisions they might be bringing to you to to consider have your values in mind and and your culture in mind. I think um, we'll... All of those things, I think, are really important to make sure you're aligned and clear on what you're trying to achieve together. Appreciate the clarity around that, to be honest. I think people listening to that will definitely take something away in terms of um, how to go and engage someone in the space if it's of interest. And I think the last thing, Sean, that I'd love to, I guess, give an opportunity and pass the mic over to, which is, I guess, in short, like, why should someone go composable? If someone's got through our first episode, um, learned, learned a little bit about what, what it is, Hopefully they've gone away and done some learning and done their own research. They've come back here and listened to some questions and some answers. What's the thing that you want to leave them with? Because admittedly, versus, um, as you heard in the first episode, the guys that are listening, uh, versus taking a big, uh, I don't want to say pivot, but focus down into the world of composable headers. Um, and that's where, you th- that's where you think the puck is going. And for the reasons you've mentioned on the pod, why should someone go composable? You've bet the business on it. Give me that last pitch as to why a brand should go composable. There are so many benefits, so, but so I'll try and try and boil it down to a few core reasons why you would want to go composable and why you should go composable, at least consider it for your brand. Agility, I think, is a really important one. The flexibility that this gives you to be able to quickly adapt to market changes. Consumer demands are always changing, so you need to be able to add, replace, upgrade different things and respond to that really quickly as well. Uh, Personalization. More and more important nowadays about tailoring your customer experience and being far more um, fine and careful with the way you talk to your customers and meet and ideally exceed their customer expectations going forward as well. Scalability. As you grow, this infrastructure can grow with you. You're not sort of capped to any sort of limit. You can just grow and grow and grow. And the um, the infrastructure allows that to happen into the long term um, and effectively avoids ever needing to do a rip and replace in the future and not having to take the whole system out again in three years' time or whatever it might be. And, and you're really just setting yourself up perfectly for the future. So... You take the advantages of innovation easily, integrating new tools, trends, and being able to get things into your ecosystem really quickly. So the end result, if you choose to go this route, is that you have an extremely agile, scalable, and customer-centric infrastructure that can really help you, you grow. And going composable means that when, whenever you need to be, whatever the future throws at you, that your brand is ready. Sean, I can't imagine a better way to wrap up this episode because if someone's got this far through and you've just explained to them by by making this move, this is the transformation that you'll go through and, and allowing that business owner to set their brand up for success, 
If someone's listening to this right now, definitely pause the show, head to the show notes. It's verse.co.uk forward slash TGF. And for the Growth Foundation, verse.co.uk forward slash TGF and go and get that free mini composable audit. But more importantly, just connect with the guys over at Verse. I've had the absolute pleasure, Sean, of meeting you and the rest of some of your team. Um, and beyond just the level of expertise that you bring, as well as educating a layman like me on this space over the last few months, it's, you're just top guys and girls. You're just in a wonderful team. It's been a, it's been a pleasure working with you. So I just want to say thank you and thanks for the second appearance on The Right Way to Grow. I really appreciate it and appreciate you. Appreciate you saying that. Yeah, it's been really, really fun talking to you and going through everything. Um, but yeah, we would, we would love to talk to brands who are facing this challenge and not sure if it's the right thing for them. Thanks very much, Adam. Really, really enjoyed it. Cheers, Shaf. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to say thank you for tuning in and I truly hope you enjoyed it. If you're new to the podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you get notified the next time we drop an episode. If there are any questions or follow-up topics you wish I got to with today's guest, please email me. It's adam at thegrowth.foundation. That's adam at thegrowth.foundation because I've told all guests I might follow up for a quick 5-10 minute follow-up show in case there's anything our audience wanted us to get to. Anything that we've covered in today's show, you can find as links in the show notes of the podcast, as well as links to our partners Bloomreach and Verse. Stay well, speak soon, and I'll catch you next time on The Right Way to Grow.